Hey, let's get into our Bibles. What book are we in? Joshua. 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 And as you're opening your Bibles to Joshua chapter 5, let's pray. God, we thank you that you have given us your word. God, you've, it's true and it's life. Father, as we get into your word this morning, we pray that you would open our eyes, our spiritual eyes. God, I pray that you'd help us to hear from you what you have to speak to each and every one of us in this room this morning. God, we don't want to just know facts about the Bible. We want to be transformed by the message in it. God, so speak through your word, speak through your servant this morning, and bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning we're going to take a look at the book of Joshua, chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 13. We're going to go through chapter 6, verse 5. 5, verse 13, through chapter 6, verse 5. And I'm going to ask Joe Stangle to go ahead and read that section, 513 through 6, 5. This is Joshua 5.13. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, Are you a friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in or out. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho its king and its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you will march around the town seven times with the priests blow blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town amen thank you joe thank you joe so we've we've got a small section in in chapter five and if you've ever read this you may have thought you know that's just an odd passage from chapter five verse 13 through 15 we see it it kind of almost seems like an extra part of the of the bible it's like it it, it doesn't quite fit you, you've, got, um, you've got the circumcision uh, circumcision happening up until verse 12, circum recircumcising, and we had a message about that a few weeks ago. In 13 and 14, this strange thing occurs, and the man, the commander of the Lord's army, shows up until verse 15, and then six, chapter 6, verse 1 starts, Jericho is securely shut up, and it feels like that's just hanging there. I've always thought that. You know, but if you read close, there's no reason to think that chapter 5, verses 13 goes right into chapter 6. Remember, the chapters that we have in the Bible were not there originally. They weren't actually put in. Chapters weren't put in the Bible until the 13th century. And so, you know, it, it survived, you know, 2,000 years 
without chapters. Uh, the, the verses weren't put in until, I, um, I think, until the 15th or 16th century. And so when it was written, these were written as large sections of Scripture. And they were, you know, of course, on scrolls and parchments, and then they would be translated. But even in all those, there, there was no, um, you know, uh, divisions in the Scriptures. So when we're reading, the, the chapters and verses are put there to help us find Scriptures, to make reading easier. And there's a few times that they're just not very good. They were just man-made. The chapters where we put chapter 6, I think there's sometimes that it's just not a great place to put a chapter, and this is one of them, because it makes you think that to stop and not keep going. Um, and so, so if we took out chapter 6 and read it this way, starting in verse 15, Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Verse 1 of, of 6 says, Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, and the Lord begins this commentary with Joshua. See, the commander of the Lord's army is Jesus Christ himself. And we're going to talk about that, why, why, why I believe that, and why the scripture I believe is teaching that. Um, but let's, let's go there for a second it, it, in verse 13. So Joshua was by Jericho. What's he doing there? He's actually there to kind of get a feel for what's about to happen. He knows that that's the first thing they're going to do. They're going to go in and take Jericho. So he's really spying out the land. He's kind of, you know, examining it, saying, okay, what are we going to do? He's probably... Um, doesn't have a lot of armor. In fact, in this, in this situation, this happened about 1400 B.C. Okay? This is the Middle Bronze era of the world, of the, of the time period. We're in the Middle East. In the Near East, in Greece, they actually were, at this point, using um, bronze armor. But, but further, in the, you know, further out, they're probably still using cowhide for armor and things like that. There could be some, but they haven't found a lot of excavations in this area that there was armor from this time period. And so he's probably just out scouting. Also, don't forget that the Israelites, Joshua and all the Israelites, had been in slavery, then walked around the desert for 40 years, and now they're going in. They haven't had a home to call their own. They probably don't have a lot. They don't have uh, a lot of modern weapons, likely. Um, we, we find that they're still using axe heads and goads and things like that in battle as you go into the book of Judges. They probably have bronze swords that aren't very strong. Iron Age hasn't come yet. They haven't started making iron yet. And so this is kind of what it is. So, so here they are. Joshua's likely got a sword, but he doesn't have any armor on. He's looking at Jericho, not expecting to find anyone probably. He's spying it out. And here comes this guy, this, this man. And in some of your Bibles, it's capitalized, man. It's capitalized because they're trying to tell us who this man is. And, and Joshua sees him. Now, here's the deal. The guy's got his sword drawn. Okay? Now, you ever walk up to some? Who's ever been to Arizona or Texas? Right? You walk up to people and you see their gun. Right? And it's a little, it's a little different. You go, okay, they're packing a gun. When you see them and their gun is in their hand out, it's a whole nother feeling. Right? Right? I mean, it's, it's one thing. It's in that you're like, oh, that's right. They could, it's an open carry kind of state. My, my brother carries, he used to, I don't know if he still is, carries a 357 around. I'm like, oh, my goodness. But, but when they've got it in their hand, it feels very different. So Josh was there spying out, and up comes this guy, sword in hand. That means he's ready for something. Now, Joshua has got this, this choice. What am I going to do here? And if I was that, 
you know, there's, you got the choice. You can fight or you could not fight. And, you know, I don't know what I'd do if I got this big guy. I have a feeling he's a big guy, too. Um, it, but uh, so rather than pull his sword, rather than run away or, or even just fall back and, and gather the troops together, he approaches the man and he says, are you for us or for our adversary? Right? It's a multiple choice question. A or B. Right? Would you like a hot dog or a hamburger? You don't say chicken. That's not, that's not a choice. Joshua asks his questions. Look in your Bible. Look at it. He says, are you for us or for our adversary? Now, let me explain you know, this real quick. If he's asking that question, that means he doesn't automatically look like, a, like he belongs in Jericho. If he looked like he was in Jericho, he'd just know, and he'd battle him or whatever. But he also knows that he doesn't belong with the Israelites. So he's different. So Joshua asks his questions. Are, are you for us or for, for our adversary? And I love the answer. No. A, B. There's no other choice here. You, you, and he goes, no. You know, the, the word there is, is actually the, the most commonly translated. If, you're from, if you were alive in the 90s and younger in the 90s, you'll like it. Not. Are you for us or for adversaries? Not. Wayne's world. But as commander of the Lord's army have I come. I'm not for you. I'm not for the adversary. I've come as the commander of the Lord's army. And so let's look and see what Joshua does here. I'd probably go in yippee. Um, Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped. He says, what does my Lord say to his servant? Every time you see an angel in the Bible and somebody trying to fall down and worship him, the angel says, don't worship me. Don't worship me. This angel, if you were thinking of an angel, doesn't stop Joshua because he's not an angel. You know, Christ appears, I believe, in the Bible in the Old Testament as well as the New. And this is an appearance of Christ in form. I believe he was also on the, on the, on the mount uh, with Moses. And, and so he says, he falls on his face earth, and, he says, what, and worships him. He says, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. This is Jesus in this form coming and Joshua is now in the presence. And Joshua is Joshua's asking, asking, are you for us or for our enemy? And the answer is no. And this message, we're going to get into this a little bit more, but we're going to, you, you got to think about this. How often in our lives are we saying, Lord, you know, are you for me? We always want the Lord to be for us. And, and I think that too often we, we don't understand that he's not for us in our plan. We need to be for him. And we're going to get into that in a minute. I want to get a little, little, little bit more here. So, so he says, take off the sands off your foot for place where you stand is holy. And, uh, and he does so. Verse 6, chapter 6, verse 1, 
It's just, again, stating what's happening over at Jericho. It was secretly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And then look at verse 2. And the Lord said to Joshua. Here's, here's what I believe is happening. We put chapter 6 in there and it confuses us. The commander of the Lord's army is talking to Joshua. And he begins his speech. They talk a little bit about Jericho being shut up. And now it says, the Lord said to Joshua. This is the same guy talking to Joshua. And the Lord says to Joshua. Because it is the Lord. See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. And then he gives them the directions. And over the next couple weeks, we'll talk about um, Jericho and, and, and how that happened. We'll get into some um, archaeology and things like that. Because, you know, the Bible is true. These aren't fairy tales. Uh, who's ever been to Jericho? Any of you? We've got some people who've actually been to Jericho. And we go, oh yeah, it's a real place. It's moved a couple times, but it's still pretty close to the original. And they've excavated the walls, and they, we now know what it looks like. Um, the, the city of Jericho was about six acres on top of a mount, and then there was a, a sloping hill, and then a, a uh, retaining wall at the bottom. Um, the total area was about nine acres, so it's a decent size of plot of land. Um, the, the wealthier people probably lived at the very top, and Rahab, and some of the less Lessers of the area probably lived on a sloping area between the upper wall and the lower retaining wall. Between the ground and the upper, upper wall of this, this rampart thing, it's about 45 feet in height. And so the first wall was about, about 12 to 16. That was just a retaining wall. Then there was a wall built directly, you know, like this, uh, on the bottom of the hill that was another eight, 8 to 12 feet. And so just getting over that was like 26 feet, I think. And then the hill started and went up, and people were, were there. And they actually believe that they found Rahab's, uh, probably Rahab's house was on the north side because when the walls did fall down, and they said they fell down, there was a section of wall on the north side of Jericho that didn't fall. But the rest of the walls did. This is, we'll get more into that next day. I love this stuff. And you go, this is real. This is, this is what archaeologists have found, and the Bible just says that exactly that way. And whether it was an earthquake, that God brought an earthquake to do it or not, we, we don't know. Archaeologists don't know. Um, but there's, you know, it's always a bummer for archaeologists that are trying to disprove the Bible and they find these things and they go, what do we do? What do we do here? Um, and so, and then, you know, the Lord gives them the instructions. March around the city, you men of war. Go around the city once and this you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram horn. We'll talk about that. Um, that's exciting. Um, wetting your appetite for the next couple weeks the horn that they used was the jubilee horn it was it, we just got through with our jubilee it was the jubilee horn it wasn't the horn that they had marched to war it was the horn of celebrating a jubilee um, which was you know setting people free so that was that's kind of exciting too um, so they blew the horns and the seventh day you march around the city seven times and the priest shall blow the trumpets and it'll come to pass when they make a long blast of the ram's horns when you hear the sound of the trumpet that all the people shall Shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people should go up every man straight before him. And um, I'm gonna, I, I want to go there, but I'm going to wait till next week. Okay. <laughs> these, are, these are great things. Um, that's just some of the, some of the, the history and archaeology of it. But, so let's talk about the, the command of the Lord's army and what, what that means here. Um, Jesus Christ is the commander of the Lord's army. And, and what is the Lord's army? Well, 
um, you, you see a picture of it in the book of Kings, in, in the book of, I think, 2 Kings, um, when Elisha is there with his servant, and the Assyrians come out, and, and the Assyrians are going, who's giving away all of our information? And one of the guys goes, it's Elisha. He tells their king what you dream about on your bed, what happens. And he's like, what? So the, the Assyrians go to take out Elisha, and they come to him and find him in a place called Dothan. And, I mean, they're so mad because they've been being preempted. Um, they've been losing the battles because Elisha kept telling the king what was going to happen. And so the Assyrians come out to attack Elisha, and he's there with his servant, and all of the Assyrian army comes. And it's, it's bad news. And the servant, Elisha's servant gets up, and he you know, is probably making him coffee or something because good servants make their master's coffee, right? Um, and he goes out, he wakes up before him, and, and, and there's this army, and he gets Elisha. He says, Elisha, what are we going to do? And this one, Elisha said, oh, those that are for us are greater than those that are against us. And he said, Lord, open the eyes of my servant. And, and immediately the servant's eyes were opened, and he saw the, the, the armies of fire on the mountainside all around. And that was the Lord's army. And see, we live in a spiritual kingdom. These aren't fairy tales. We live in a spiritual kingdom that we can't see. I believe every one of us in here has felt a presence at times. Sometimes you felt that evil presence. You walk into a room, something happens, and it's not just the heebie-jeebies. You go, I just felt a presence. We live in a spiritual world. There are angels and there are demons. And I don't know exactly how it works. There's a, some, some great books that people have tried to figure these things out and write some you know, fiction. But we know that when God created the angels, which are innumerable, in other words, there's just a ton of them, that a third of those angels chose to rebel with Satan and he cast them down to earth. Okay? This is what the Bible teaches. And so there is a third of an innumerable force that are demonic and they're out to kill and to destroy, to rob from us. We're not in this life alone. Church, we're not in this life alone. God has called us to become part of the army of the Lord, but we're just joining forces and agreeing with the Lord's army, which is the, the, the warriors that are on fire waiting to fight on our behalf. I believe that they are co constantly fighting. I believe that when we pray, angels are dispatched to work on our behalf. What that looks like exactly, I don't know if I want to know. And I don't know if I want to know. I think it'd be it'd freak me right out. You know? I, I, but it's true. And that's, I know that there's probably some of you in here going, well, I, just, I don't know about that. And really? And, and you're battling with it. Don't, don't check out and, and don't dismiss it. You know, we, we can, we're not going to go into all the scriptures, but I'd love to, if you're interested, I can give you some pl more Bible studies to, to look at these things. But um, we know that the enemy is alive and well. The enemy came and tempted Adam and Eve in the beginning. The enemy there was the, to tempt Jesus in the garden. Um, uh, in, in, uh, when he took him out into the desert, I'm sorry. And then the, the, the enemy, I believe, was right there in the garden of Gethsemane putting weight on him. And so we live in this world where, where we're constantly bombarded and being asked these questions and being sent out by the Lord like Joshua. So let's go to Joshua and see how this ties in. So Joshua's being called to lead the people of Israel into Jericho. And so 
who's ever felt from God to go do something? Right? We've, I mean, probably most of us have felt an inkling like I'm supposed to do this or that. So Joshua, he's being faithful. He's heard from the Lord. He's heard from Moses. He's seen the acts of the Lord. He knows God. He knows him personally. You know, back in the desert, when everyone would leave Moses because of the glory of the Lord was all there, you know, you read the scripture, it says, but Joshua stayed with Moses. Everyone else would, Joshua saw the Lord. Joshua saw the radiance of God on Moses. Joshua experienced all the miracles of God. He knows God, and he's about to lead the people into the promised land. We actually believe that, that Joshua struggled with courage because the Lord continually told him, courageous, be strong. I think he would, there was a tendency of him to like battle with that like a lot of people. And so the Lord would, would bolster him up and be strong and be courageous. Um, Joshua, the Lord will be with you wherever you go. Here he is, he's looking at Jericho and he's probably going, what are we going to do? The walls between the bottom and the top are 40 feet, 45 feet that they have to get up and over in order to take the city. They don't have battering rams. Battering rams were around. We don't believe that they had them. In fact, back in this, they probably were, were, most of them were the kind you just take a log and batter the things. And Jericho was shut up so tight, um, they were afraid. There was, a, there was a fear over them. Archaeologists found tubs and tubs full of grain. Well, they, they actually were, they were full of grain, which meant they were expecting to be there for a long time. And these sieges, if you look in history, they could last three years. They would be trying to besiege a city for three years while the people were inside, and then sometimes they would just surround them and wait until they starved to death. That even happened in the Bible. And so this is just how, the, how war would work. And so Joshua's looking at the city going, we don't have battering rams, we don't have any catapults. You know, they have some short swords that aren't very big. And he's seeing these walls, and he's like, but you know, God, he's told us to take the city. And here comes this guy, and he says, I've come as the commander of the Lord's army, and Joshua worships him. Because, and he says, are you for us or against us? Are you for us or for our adversaries? And the Lord says, no. And that's the message for us today. God can call us to do something, but we need to remember to not take that as our personal quest. It's God's quest that he's asking us to be a part of. And that every moment we need to remember that we are on his side. We need to do it his way. We need to not just take it and say, okay, now that you told me, I'm going to do it my way. Frank Sinatra. <laughs> they did it my way. I can think of somebody a few generations before Joshua who did it his way and it didn't work out very well for him and it hasn't worked out very well for us because Abraham, when he was supposed to have a child, took Hagar instead of waiting on the promise of God. God said, you're going to have a kid. I'm giving you, I'm promising you this. This is what you're going to do. And he falls into that uh, temptation and he believes the voice. It happened to be his wife, but he believed the voice. And he takes Hagar, out of that Ishmael is born, out of that, we believe, comes the entire Muslim nation. Because Abraham did it my way. It doesn't work out well. When you get something from the Lord, we've got to always remember that what, what we're doing needs to be stopped. Wait, this isn't mine. Yes, he's, he's given us this task. But here comes the commander of the Lord's army. He says, I'm not for you. 
I'm not for you. You need to be for me. You need to be for me because I know what you need to do. I know how you need to walk. I know all the plans. Stick with me. Stay close to me. And then he gives them the plan. And the plan is ridiculous. I mean, it's a ridiculous plan. Come on. Who's watched VeggieTales? This is the great rendition of this, man. I mean, you know, this is a very doctrinal thing. And he says, so we're going to march around and we're going to blow our little trumpets. I mean, really? They get march around and blow trumpets? And then we're going to be able to run straight in. How is that possible? And this is what's really cool. What I discovered, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but you if you have a big wall, and some of the walls are six feet thick, by the way. You have a big wall that reaches as high as the heavens, they say. And that's just, of course, not true. It's the way they would say things that said really, really high. 45-foot high walls are really tall back then. And all that brick, if it falls, it's going to make a really large rubble. So you're going to climb up and over that and then down. But remember the walls I said, the retaining wall was here, and then the, the first wall, and then the second wall, and then there was a hill um, in between. As this wall fell, it fell over the retaining wall and built up a, a pile of rubble to get over this first retaining wall. So that, Because the retaining wall is holding in dirt. That wall didn't fall. That wall is holding in the dirt. So this wall falls down, and then all the rubble just makes a ramp. And so they run up the ramp, and now they're running up this hill towards the top. And as that wall fell at the top, it spreads out because it doesn't, as it falls and it kind of crumbles down, it just runs straight up, straight up. God is amazing. Wherever you're at, the wall's going to come down, and it's going to make the ramp for you. I want to do it God's way. When I come my own ways, it's much more complicated. And blowing a horn sounds a lot easier than battling all these thousands of people. Are you for us for adversary? You know, this just speaks to me so much. Proverbs 16 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. See, God calls us to think, but then our heart and our mind and begin, we, we can really mess it up. Even trying to do well for the Lord, we get in there. We need to continue to come back to the Lord and spend that time with Him to hear His voice. Psalms 20 says that some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. You know, King David, when God called King David, it wasn't because he was the strongest, he wasn't the firstborn, he was the shepherd boy. If we would have called one of them, we would have called the, some of his older brothers. I mean, they were... They were big and strong. In fact, Saul had all the makings of a good king, and that's why, that's why they wanted Saul. See, but God's plan is different than the way we would. But we need to stay close to the Lord and hear what he would tell us. We need to be humble. We need to be humble and when the Lord calls us to, to, to really continue to understand that we're just a vessel. That he's going to do the work. That we really can't do it. When they marched around Jericho, they couldn't do it. But God broke down the walls, and that's when 
they were able to. Blessed he, he, blessed is he whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts. Pilgrimage, blessed is he whose strength is in you. Where does our strength come from? You know, I, I love the, the, the scripture that says, I lift my eyes up into the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from you, Lord. Not from my abilities, not from my talents. It's, it's not from how much I pray. It's from God's faithfulness. I don't get blessed because I give. I get blessed because God blesses. See, everything comes from Him. We need to keep looking and understanding that He's our source, that we need to agree with Him, that we, when we're ever doing anything God's calling us to, that we don't rely on our knowledge or our talents or our abilities. We have to rely on His anointing, His strength, His direction. We need to be close to Him, that we hear His voice in the middle of our pilgrimage, in the middle of what He calls us to, so that we don't get off track. One of the best ways, one of, is to know the Word of God. We need to be in the Word. You know, when Corey was sharing that he spent those, that couple years just always just in the Word of God, in the Word of God, we need to be people who would devour this and read it and read it and reread it and ask questions. Say, what is, ask questions of those who are a little bit further along in, the, in their journey and say, what does this mean? You know, there, there's things that you read, is, is, is that literal? You know, do, are we supposed to beat our plows into sword, plowshares into swords and then beat them back from swords into plowshares? You read the different parts of the Bible, it's confused. That, are we literally supposed to do that? What is this? And we get, read the whole, the whole word of God, not just little sections. We don't just find a verse and go, oh, that's, that's the good, good verse for me today. I don't even know the story of the, of the guy who says, Lord, I just need a word from you today. Just speak to me. And I don't know if you've ever done this one where you just close the Bible and you go, okay, whatever you open up, do this. And it says, and Judas went out and hung himself. <laughs> you say, you know, Lord, I, I want a different word from you. So I'm going to try this again. And then you open up and you go ye and do likewise. You know? <laughs> That's not how we approach the Word of God. That's not how we approach God. We need to know and have an understanding of, of His principles and His character. If we just read the Old Testament, we think of God only as this hating, angry, you know, strike everyone dead person. If we leave, if we only read the New Testament, we see that He doesn't, sometimes people read and they go, He doesn't even care about sin. But when you put it all together, He's a righteous holy God who's full of judgment and wrath and he's decided to hold that judgment and wrath off New Testament until the end times and he cares deeply for our salvation and our souls and he doesn't want us to live like hell he actually wants us to live righteously righteously according to the word of God and we don't get to make up our own rules we need to be led and guided by the word of God we need to be church in these last days people are twisting the scriptures like crazy and the and the bible said it would happen and the end times they will lay up for themselves teachers who teach them things to tickle their itching ears and 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 people are saying well that's the bible doesn't say that that's wrong and this is wrong and and really love arches over everything and this is the definition of love except everything that's not the definition of love that's not the definition of they're twisting people are twisting scriptures now god is the god of love and he loves every single one of us so much that he sent Jesus Christ, his only son, that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. He didn't send Jesus for us to feel guilty and bad. He sent Jesus to die for our sins, to cleanse us, to give us a payment for our sin. 
And when we receive that, he brings life, he brings healing, and that's the gospel story in 20 seconds. And we need to know that, that what his love means and what his holiness and righteousness means. We had this great conversation yesterday about holiness, and holiness is not something you put on on the outside only. You can't. That's what the Pharisees tried to do. Just do better, do better, do better. Who's tired of trying to do better? Because you can't. So let's just stop trying to do better. No, because it says that Christ lives in us and he wills us to do better from the inside. It's this thing that when we have Christ inside of us, we begin to change. As we're, we fellowship with him, as we know his word, we begin to change even our own thoughts and thinking. Repentance actually means not stop doing bad things. It means change your thinking. And we are full of stinking thinking. And we will never get better thinking until we get washed with the water through the word of God. You know, this is what cleanses. You know, my, my, bro my brother used to say, people would accuse him of being brainwashed when he was young in the Lord at that phase in his life. And, and he said, man, you've just been brainwashed. He says, that's good because my brain needed a good scrubbing. <laughs> you know, if you've got a dirty mind, you get, need to be brainwashed. Be brainwashed in the word of God, not by me. By the word of God, let the word of God come and cleanse you. It's actually freeing and life-giving and it's wonderful. And so we get the God, Jesus Christ, living inside of us and we begin to change. And, and, but we go, well, you know, how is, is that enough? Well, then he also says, know my word. These are my words. And we, we read it and we, we feel these, we, we feel him moving this way and the word confirms it. And he says, I don't want you to live with someone outside of marriage. I don't want you to be a drunk. I don't want you to be a gossip. We don't talk about gossip enough in the church. Gossip's the church's sin. You know, I mean, he cares about that too. But, but, but he says, and here's why. So we have him inside of us to help us to will and to do, and he gives us the word of God to say, yes, this is the way, walk in it. But we can't just, we can't do it outside of strength in him. It has to be done in him. And then he gives us grace. Anyone fallen? Anyone ever have a fall? Right? We, we don't... Any man who's, who can keep his... Even just a drain on his mouth is perfect and is able to you know, keep his whole body in check. We can't. We're not perfect. And so there's grace in the time and we find out what that grace is. It comes through repentance. That's a secondary message. When the Lord calls us, this is what's going to guide us, the Word of God and the Spirit of God living inside of us. And there... We're going to have the, the unity of the, the scriptures and the Holy Spirit. And God is never going to have us do things that are contrary to the word of God. You know what? It, 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 deception comes in so subtly. If you've, if you've ever been deceived, you know what I'm talking. I had a season in my life that I was deceived in an area that I... I twisted the scriptures myself to fit what I wanted, and I became deceived. The Holy Spirit is not going to lead us contrary to what the Word of God says. And so we have the Word of God on the outside, and we have the Holy Spirit, Jesus himself, living on the inside. And if you wanted to make a perfect mold in the shape of something, you put a mold on the inside of it and on the outside of it, and when they press together, 
that thing looks perfect like the mold. I want to look perfectly like Jesus. Jesus says he's the word. And if he's living inside of me and I allow him to put that pressure and just take over every crevice of my life and then allow the word of God to be pressing in against me also, I am going to look like Jesus. Not because I'm trying, but because he's living in me and his word is guiding and helping me along the way. Are you for us, for our adversaries? Duh, no. You need to be for me. I mean, if, I, if I follow you in the way you want to do it, it's not going to go well. But follow me. Be for me. I'll lead you into the paths that you need. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I got a plan for you. As you follow me and, and yield your life and your plans to me, even the things that, that I've called you to, don't run ahead of me. Walk by my side. Be with me. We're in this together. Don't run ahead of the Lord. Know him. Get into his word. Have him live inside of you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning your word speaks to us. We see that you come into each and every one of our lives as the commander of the Lord's army. And you say, be for me. Lord, this morning we want to follow you. We want to do it your way. We don't want to sit in our pride or rebellion. God, this morning we want to trust you to be our everything. Some of you in this in here this morning who maybe have never trusted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. I gave a quick presentation of what that what it means. And it's to say that I'm a sinner. I've done things wrong. And Lord Jesus, you paid a price so that I didn't have to. You died for my sins so that I don't have to die for them. And I don't even know everything that you would call a sin. But I want to receive new life. So I put my hope and my faith in you. I ask you to forgive me for the sins that I know were wrong. And then I ask you to show me the things in my life that you'd want to weed out and get rid of. I ask you would help me to continue to follow you and give you as you lead me into that direction also. I give you my life and my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. And for the, all of us, Lord, we want to commit our lives afresh to you. God, help us to be ones who would come early and, and find our strength in the Word of God. God, help us to not live lives that would quench the Holy Spirit and His work in us. Help us to not find ourselves in places that we can't hear your voice anymore. Live inside of us. Have complete reign of us. And then help us to find you in the word also. Help us to be those who would love your word. And be changed by your word. God, for those in here that, that, that have a hard time reading, God, just 
help them and push them, encourage them to just get a piece of Scripture. Begin to put the pieces together. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done. Lord, I thank you that even over the next few weeks as we continue to talk about Jericho, that you'll begin to smash down the walls that we're supposed to run in and take. God, thank you for freedom, for jubilee, for your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.